Hidden in plain sight captures stories of the rainbow community in the Hepburn Shire. As well as the more well-known and recognised names, we also wanted to hear from everyday people. This includes those living, working, raising families and running businesses in the local community. Not everyone who identifies as belonging to the rainbow community is visible. Today it gives me great pleasure to welcome a dear, dear friend, Christian Reuter, to our conversations for Hidden in Plain Sight. So we've given you a little bit of an overall gist of what it is we're doing here, and we just, Rosie and I would both like to say welcome. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Rosie. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Very good to have you here. And we've got history. You and I have been dear friends for... 20, well... Longer than 20 years, but we, we moved in together 20 years ago. There we go. So, housemates, we know a bit too much about each other. Not all of that <laughs> stuff can come out. But um, to start off the podcast, I guess we like to know where you started. Where's your story? Where's the beginning of your journey? And how well, Christian came about being in the Hepburn Shire and with all of us. Oh, yes. Well, I suppose... I grew up in a small country town in the Goulburn Valley in a daring area and that was a different world to yeah. what I know now. Very, oh, I had no idea of what possibilities could be, even though when I started having an inkling that I was gay or I might be different or anything like that, I just felt very stuck between two walls and there wasn't many choices and all that sort of thing. But um, through determination and, you know, uh, my parents had travelled a lot and they inspired me to do the same and get out there. So I became a chef and moved to Melbourne. And that was exciting and fun in the late 90s. <laughs> and yeah, so I sort of burst onto the scene there. So you trained in Melbourne? Yes, I finished my apprenticeship in Melbourne. I started in Chuka and um, moved, moved to Melbourne after a couple of years just yeah. to get more experience. So that was exciting. Also, the 90s in Melbourne were exciting. And for the gay scene, yes. there was so much. Clubs and music, yes. and fun and all of that sort of thing. So threw myself into that. And that was sort of about the same time where I'd come out to family and dealing with that. And, you know, I guess that was a re- time of rebellion for me too. When you say dealing with that, how did mum and dad take that? Their only son was gay. I was surprised that they didn't take it very well. They were shocked and disappointed and sad and everything. But I guess I realise now they had their expectations and perhaps they had assumptions that they had. Weirdly enough, it was my grandfather who accepted it very well. And I didn't realise until 20 years later, until my mum told me that she told him. But he had a conversation with me that he... He loved me, he should just, I should just go out in the world and live my life and all this sort of thing, which, and I, we didn't acknowledge what had happened with me. He just offered that yeah. just love and support unconditionally to me and that was a big help. And then eventually my, the rest of my family came around. I just had this period of rebellion and craziness. That's how I did. Yeah. In Kyabram or in Melbourne? In, it started in Melbourne and then when I went overseas to live as well. 
So I look back on it, maybe it wasn't a healthy way of dealing with things. But you can't, I felt rejected and angry. But you can't take that stuff back, though, either, can you? No. 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 But I, if I was talking to my younger self or someone younger, I would say to them, look at you acting out of you know, pain or trauma um, in, in doing this or you're doing something. Would you say that that's a bit generational in that our elders, parents, aunts, mm. uncles, whatever, didn't have the capacity to communicate or reach us on the level that you just discussed, discussing with your inner child? No. You know, like... No. And I think that's the way we deal with things that you know, we didn't maybe handle well in the past or, or have yeah. caused problems and things mm. like that. And I think it's mental health like that, mental health issues like that are very common in our in our community as well, especially, well, I can only say especially in our generation because I know talking to friends and things like that. It is interesting, the evolution of all of communication. How did your high school friends cope? Like, you would have obviously had really country Mm. friends with farming families. Surprisingly well, I remember bracing myself for rejection a couple of times, but there was nothing but love and support, really. I never had any negative experience. Yeah, from the hardest, roughest country, you know, traditional country folk, but nothing but love and support. So I was really grateful for that. And luckily I didn't know any violence or hate in the community. I don't know whether it's because I am a big guy who mastered well or fitted in well, but I never ever got any hate or. But in the, you were working in kitchens? Hospice. They were crazy environments. full of us. <laughs> Anyone, <laughs> they were crazy environments. Like it was, everyone had, and I think that's what lured me to hospitality because a lot of us say now that people who are looking for. Um, family or something you know how can I say it uh, for me I enjoyed the teamwork of kitchens and the and the team environment and I think that a lot of other people do as well because they may not have that in their lives but being a part of something you know belonging to people and because if I look back on it a lot of people I worked with had were all from different walks of life and had, a, had issues somewhere else in the life, but we all fitted in, in the kitchen. And yes, it was crazy and lots of hard work and all that sort of thing, but um, lots of really good friendships. And yeah. it was fun, and <laughs> the adrenaline and all of that. Yeah. And I've tried to do other career changes and things yeah. like that, like teaching and other things, and I, was just, I just don't get that buzz out of it. I know it'd be nice to work Monday to Friday. <laughs> yeah, the hours aren't um, yeah. very sociable. No, they're not sociable. Like, I think that's why you form bond. your bond yeah. with your family. Yeah, but I think, oh, I'll do that later. But when I'm 60 or something, I'll do Monday to Friday. You can teach that. <laughs> yes. Because you did London as well, didn't you? You yep. did a big chunk of travelling. How was that? That was good too. And I had another falling out with my family just before I went. So that was problematic, and I just went over there. So I was ready to just have an adventure on my own, and I was I was on my own for nearly three years. But I lived in London, and I lived in Cornwall. Cornwall was very accepting, and it's a big artistic community. 
and they, yeah, <laughs> they helped me with bulk amounts and there was a, a strong LGBTQI community there yeah. too that revolved an arts club on a Monday night where people would, of all walks of life would just get together in an old hotel and have a night out I loved it there artists also and all sorts of people you meet there and that's quite a remote part of England you would think oh I don't know how it's going to go but it was just amazing yeah. have you still got a Cornwall group of friends? Uh, a couple, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been back there since 2004, but yeah, Facebook friends now. We are yeah, thank goodness touch. for Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. On so many levels. So, I did go through this bit of self-destructive period in London, partying and working and all that sort of thing, but then I did come back. And I do, but I do think there was a part of that was just, that's dealing with the trauma of what had happened and just moving fast, keep going, yeah. moving fast. Yeah. And so you came home, and where? Oh, I went back to Melbourne, and I was lasted about a month there, because I was sick of cities. So yeah. I'd, been, I'd been in Berlin before that as well. And, uh, that was fun too. A mutual friend of ours, Martin, yeah. had, was moving from Hepburn to Sydney, or had moved from Hepburn to Sydney, and was sharing a house with Mel. With me. He's just like, in darling, just, I'll get Mount you a Franklin. job. Franklin. <laughs> Yeah, and he said, darling, I'll get you a job uh, at a hotel and you can just move in with Mel and you'll love it. And I did love it. So and I moved in the day after Chill Out, or the Tuesday after Chill Out, I think. And Which would have been Chill Out 2003. Three. Yeah. So 20 years ago. And the doors were wide open and there was just a note on the table saying, Mac is up at home, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> so immediately I, I loved it and have never thought of moving since. So you stayed... In the area ever since? I haven't moved in. the same house? But. I've moved around a little bit around between Hepburn and Dalesford and now yeah. I live in Hepburn. We lived in three places together, didn't we? We did, yeah. So what about those years, hey? Yes, well, they were pretty crazy. <laughs> I came to sort of a quiet existence. But it was 2003. Hmm. We were about... 25, 26, 27. You were young. Oh, maybe 28, whatever. Young, young, young. You're a little bit older than me, just yeah. for the record. <laughs> yep, I would have been 25. Well, I was 28. Yes. And so where did you work? You In Hepburn. Yep. At the Peppers and Mineral Springs Hotel, which is now Peppers Resort. Mm. I started there. And they said, once you've been here 10 years, you'll have worked everywhere. And now it's true. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I've had worked in restaurants and cafes and had my own catering business and had my own cafe and now I'm working for Passing Clouds and Mel was also managing my cafe for a couple of years as well. Beautiful cafe, absolutely yeah. beautiful. Which one was that? It was called Culinaria and it was in Howe Street where Buster McGee is. But running your own business, go, go into that a little bit because that's really important. Mm. Well, I started a catering business first in a, and set up a, a commercial kitchen in, a, in an old factory in East Street, an old tomato processing plant, just a factory or whatever it was. And I think it's where McCain's chips yes, used to right. be. Yes, that's Like it's, it's got factory. that much history. Now it's mm. very much about small businesses all being able to have an opportunity yeah. there. And we did. I grew the business from doing small dinner parties and dinners for you know guests at accommodation and things like that to doing quite a few weddings and larger events 
longest lunches for 200 people and things like that. Yeah. You know, once I found a friend who could coordinate, help me coordinate events and I could focus on the food, and I, I don't always was able to get really good staff somehow. That's actually one thing, I'm yeah. I'm still proud of that. One of the days where you can just call upon 15 staff because you get a function and I think that's COVID, but I think it's also the Airbnb industry consuming mm. a lot of the housing mm. for a lot of our would-be staff. So, Yes, that's the biggest thing I've noticed. Uh, I was think- as I was driving over here today, I was thinking about the time when I moved here and I was part of a very large young community of hospo and hippies and also a really broad range of young people. Mm. And I thought, are they, is it, are they still here and I just can't see them? Or just because I'm 20 years older now, I don't see them? I agree. Or have they gone so it's, it's changed. It's a different changed. demographic. It's not... I agree with you. The prices of our local community have gone up in such a huge way that people like us that had priorities all over the place... We would use all our income every week. Hospo people will spend their money, but there's a different uh, demographic moving in. I think it's a higher-end income. Older people, yes. I mean, there's always that element of when I've moved here that, you know, they said, oh, you won't last long or you're just a blow-in or this is what's wrong with this town, you know, people just moving moving here. I suppose that people still say that, but it has changed. It has changed. I was, I was curious about that because, you know, you're talking about when you moved in and the demographic and the hippies and the, all the yeah. people you don't necessarily see now. But the economy still thrived by the sound of it. Yeah, it was... Because you're spending all your money. <laughs> <laughs> it but, did, but it was a quiet... It was quiet during the weekend, busy on the weekends, and there was a very stark difference. Yeah. And we were lucky. We all had full-time jobs, yeah. whereas a lot of us wouldn't have had full-time employment in Melbourne. We would have been casual... So we wouldn't have had security. We were also lucky to have some time jobs. Yeah. I don't remember a lot of. I remember a lot of people that I knew had to really do a bit here, do a bit there to make ends meet. And I remember thinking at the time, gee, I'm lucky I can have a full time job. You can rely on that. Yeah. Sorry, Mel. I just thinking because you did massage therapy, uh, massage therapist for a while, a long time. Some of your friends I remember who were massage therapists who didn't. They would have to do a bit at this place and a bit at that place. Or do yeah, there wasn't or... full-time massage work unless you worked mm. at the Hepburn Bathhouse. Mm. And that had its pros and cons. As a massage therapist, you'd be either doing seven up to eight massages a day, which you're not allowed to do anymore. It's, oh. it's way too, too much, much physically, yeah. Mm. But we were all doing it. <laughs> it's just, that's, that's what it was back then. And so those people... Are, own smaller day spas now and ended up being the small businesses in, which was really nice to watch and see those little businesses thriving under the umbrella of what the Hepburn Bathhouse was, but the Hepburn Bathhouse will always be what it it is, which is a big draw card Mm. and a big employer of the region. Going back to the business I had, I got to know a lot of, got involved with the football club and um, other groups like that, uh, community groups. Hepburn Health and other things. Mm-hmm. So got, that, that got me more involved in the community too, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Mm. And the Did football you play footy? 
No, no, just just catering jobs and you know, uh, or sponsoring their events or things Football like that. would have ruined the baking hands. Oh. Christian is a very talented baker, <coughs> pastry chef, oh, and yeah. yes, cake maker. We did we did make cakes as well, wedding yeah. cakes, celebration cakes, and cakes for restaurants. And you never had any problem with the football club and any adverse? No. I was very well supported by council and, and local businesses and things like that. And, you'd try, and if you could, you would try and support them as well. And I feel like I'm more a part of the community because of that now, because I still know these people. Good time to come in by the sound of it. It yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's... But, and like you, Mel, too, and you, Rosie, you get in, you've been involved in mm. things in, in the town. It's the most rewarding mm. part of living in the country. And you're a big part of Chill Out for a while, too. Chill Out, but you would have done your stuff for Chill Out, too. I'm yeah. sure you would have done yeah. sponsoring or, you know, that's what businesses do. Mm. Once you do that, you're then to sponsor everything, isn't that right? And they'll lay COVID, off you for everything. COVID stopped all of that. <laughs> <laughs> all businesses went, oh, absolutely fact, not, no more. Change, yeah. change. It's yeah. like, gee, I can't know if I can sponsor anything else. Really need to pay my rent. <laughs> <laughs> but they do, they are, they do ask, ask a lot. But yeah, no, nothing but good, good memories about, about all of that. So you're a pastry chef as well as a... No, no, pet? I just accidentally fell into pastry oh, cooking because... A lot of chefs don't want to do dessert pastry yeah. cooking. And I have a natural ability, I've always liked doing it. So I yeah. just threw myself in there and did it. Really. There is this wonderful, wonderful photo that I remember of Christian and a dear friend of his, Andrew Dennis. And Andrew Dennis is also, is he, he still in Dalesford? Yes, he's a chef at Spade to Blade Karen. Okay, but he's, when he moved to town, I knew he was one of your dear friends. Mm. And this photo is of Christian and Andrew at about three years of age. Not two or three or something like that. At Kinder, <laughs> both of them sitting there, and they're both now valuable chefs in the region with their rolling pins rolling out. <laughs> and it's the cutest, cutest photo. So would you think that you were always going to end up Close to Andrew, or well, funnily enough, because he, I remember him saying to me, oh, "I'm leaving school to start my apprenticeship," and I was like, oh, "I want to do that." So we always had kind of a bit of a competitive Rivalry. thing together. Yeah. And he he went and did that, and I finished finished that year part year twelve, whatever. Then I eventually got in, got my apprenticeship a couple of years after him. Yeah, because then, then we shared a flat together, and so we sort of encouraged each other to keep going. And it wasn't much around an issue, but that wasn't very inspiring food-wise. But he, he, I think he and I encouraged each other to yeah. go to Melbourne or to keep cooking and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And then he moved to Dalesford. You were there first. Yes, he ca- I was telling him that I was there <laughs> first. So he, he stopped in to visit. Um, this is how I remember it. He stopped in to visit and then they decided to get married here at the Cosmo. And then they were like off to get find somewhere warm to live and they ended up back here. <laughs> Wrong oh, well, yeah. you can't you can't match the match this place for um, you know a good community and, mm-hmm. and fun and excitement over somewhere warm I suppose. 
So do you go back to, uh, do your parents still have the um, dairy farm? No, they've, they've sold that. I did just come back from there today. They live just out of, just out of town. Yeah, they've retired now. They managed to survive. There was a 10-year drought in the year 2000, about 2010 or whatever. They did very well to just not only survive that, but grow their business and, and um, they're heavily involved in the dairy industry. And they're biodynamic farms oh. as well. Yeah. Yeah, so they thrived. Many of survived and then thrived and then now they've retired. So. No, I'm very proud of them for how they did that. And I'm grateful for my upbringing on a farm mm. too because it helps me appreciate where food... Well, I got to appreciate where food you comes from. You saw firsthand. That's right. Yeah. And we used to grow a lot of our own food and uh, meat and everything. Be fairly self-sustainable. Something I took for granted at the time. There was like my dad's father who, who grew a lot of food and my mum's parents. They grew a lot of food as well, which... We were sharing the same farm, we're all on the same farm, so it all worked well as a team and supported two families there for a while. Unfortunately, whatever happened in the deregulation happened in the in the 90s and they had to buy a massive farm and milk lots of cows to survive, so you couldn't just have 50 cows and grow your own food and be happy anymore, you to be a serious business. Because you're sheep, aren't you? Your family. No, no, we were. We lived in a rural area, but we're in town. My father was a trader. Ah. I thought I had lots of friends who were farmers. Yeah. So, visit me. Yeah, farming community. I know. <laughs> when I met, I said before. Help, oh, the, help oh, with yes. docking the tails uh, and all those horrible things. Well, I never did that. And I think Christian parents had worked me out pretty early on that that was not something I could have done. Not Nothing like that. But. You threw yourself in there, though. Yeah, well, it was bloody hot. I was. Yeah. I remember getting out of the car and thinking I just walked into a heat wall. Well, from Dalesford to Goulburn. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I think, us, typical, I think we stopped off at some sheds to fossick around some old machinery or oh, something, mm. which is so you. Yeah. Your Christian restores antique furniture and stuff like that, too. He's yeah. very creative. But, yeah, I remember your dad saying, well, come on better do something or something along those lines. And I came out and was just in awe. All the cows were doing everything he asked. And in yeah. they went. And thank goodness it was an automated system. I wasn't actually hand <laughs> milking them, which wouldn't have been as fun. Two hours later, we came out, we milked them all, and I went back in and Christian's in the bloody recliner. I'm like, is that where you've been? Jeez. You were all over it, Mel. I was so happy. Yeah, I was happy I'd accomplished something. But um, creatives, yeah. you've always had the creative flair. You've always had uh, an exceptional, exquisite presentation of food, cakes, all that kind of stuff. And Christian actually came in and has helped us in the cafe over the years with presentation mm -hmm. and just small, beautiful little words. Oh, that, yeah. Recipes and stuff like that. Yeah, recipes. But you've also got your furniture that you love. I do, yes. And I'm just starting to get back into that. Our house was always full of something broken that was going to be fixed or okay. reupholstered <laughs> or, yeah. Yes, we're always bringing it home. Oh, found this on the side of the road. Thought you might like it. I woke up to the police at the door one day. Christian here? And I oh. said, yeah. It was about a vehicle 
in the blackberry bushes. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Didn't quite make it home. And that's a party that had gone south. I had very brawl, south. The police were there and brawls were there and it just went, and that's when we vacate. That's not our scene. And Christian was following me home and I had my eyes on him in the revision mirror. And as I started to turn a bend coming up from Hepburn and into Dalesford, I watched his car just go, whoop, off, gone. Off the road, bye. I had to complete the bend because mm. if I turned around, oh, I don't know what would have happened anyway. I turned around, grabbed my Nokia, and as I looked at it, Christian was ringing, and I answered it before I went back. I'm okay, I'm okay, I missed the bend, but... I was like this trying to, uh, looking up at the car, I was just... I'm like suspended on about four feet of blackberries. <laughs> anyway, so we got in the car, and we went home, and we went, we'll have to deal with that tomorrow. To which the one o'clock in the afternoon police officer at the door was. He said to me, Christian's I assume car. you know about your car. And they took me down and made me stand in the sun and block the traffic while they. While they Craned it my out. Car out. It worked, it was not damaged though. The soft uh, landing was. Yeah, uh, <laughs> blackberries, a few because you were probably more scratched trying to get out of it. I still get a lot of flack for that, even though it's a long, long time. I like the story where I went to the supermarket and I'd only been there a couple of months and, and I hear everyone, I hear people in the aisles talking about a party that's happening tonight. And I'm like, Mel said she was having a little party tonight. <laughs> By the time I got home from work and came mm-hmm. back to the party, there must have been two or three hundred people there. There was, was the about, one I've been talking about? Yeah. <laughs> there was about two kilometres worth of cars up Midland Highway. Yeah, there were tents and people everywhere. And people it was New Year's Eve. Who are you? And what fair. are you doing here? I'm like, well, I kind of live here. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> See, do they do those parties anymore? Those were so much fun. That was before the internet, really. So we didn't even have Facebook. That's the sense of community that we had around yeah. us. That was our generation. And I mean, we would have all spent across 10 to 15 years, mm. everyone that would have been at that mm. party. And that, that was what was in Dalesford at the time. That, that was the influx of us moving to Dalesford. And like, you know, big contributors, people that, you know, had 10 years of working and contributing on other people's mm. businesses and then going, I'm the next 10, I'm going to step mm. up, I'm going to run my own business and do this and create employment for the community. And that's when you become really, really invested. Yeah, and we have a lot of others older or other supportive people as well. Golf club, you even, golf club would always utilise you for their functions. So it really was, it was a small life, but it was really filled and fun. Mm. And we were all so close to one another. And I wouldn't have wanted anything else for my 20s. No, me either. And considering the lack of planning, I could always say, okay. No, I look back on it as a very exciting, culturally different time because that was just a period of time but I happened to be it's great so you're yeah. planning to stay around the area mm. yeah bit of quieter life these days got some spontaneous parties <laughs> not so it's still occasionally <laughs> someone asked me the other day after my neighbours are noisy and I think and I said to them I think I'm a noisy neighbour it still happens I still like an open house I still like that feeling where whoever can show up show up 
that's that's a beautiful way to you look at it. You live on your own now? Yeah. Or, so it's your place? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. Too. I still love having friends come up and stay, and, you know, whatever, just whatever. No, and that's a that's a, the spirit I have from those days and living with me. It's just like, ah, what's, what's five more people? What's another 25 people through the front door? That's right. Sure, it's in the back cupboard. Big in hospo though, there's always enough wine glasses and there's always enough plates. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's, that, that's probably taught me a lot about generosity. They're always just being enough. We always manage to get by. Yeah, or more than get by. So well, that's the right. essence of hospitality. That's right. I'm really impressed with Mel. She's had this cafe for over 10 years, 12 years. 11, right 11, in the middle. there we are. Yeah. Thank you. But but here's a story that is about Christian Mm. and that moment, and that is that when I was managing Christian's cafe, as two very close friends, we were going to always come up against. You know, there was going to be a clash, Mm. or and and if if it came up in such a a way, what was what was to happen? And we both said at the very beginning, our friendship came first. Mm And sure enough, when things started to get tense and we started to see different things, we put our friendship first and we both decided that this was the moment. But Christian's words to me that day were on one condition. I will accept your resignation on one condition that you go and open your own cafe because it's the only place for you to go. And so with that... My bestie's words, yeah. I wouldn't, and also with your experience and seeing you do it, I don't think I would have had the courage or the knowledge. You taught oh, me so much. I have no regrets. But Hospo, we're built for it, aren't we? It's um, part and of I your blood. I hate to talk about the adrenaline. I think that's a big part. Which is so funny because you're the least adrenal person I know. Christian, very relaxed, very chilled out, Capricorn, goatee. But you knew when Christian got stressed at work and everyone still talks about this and it's called spirit fingers. And Christian would be standing over a table that may have been 10 feet long with 50 plates and all of them had to look identical and the hands went up in the air and the fingers started waving and you watched all the staff just start to step back <laughs> slowly because once that happened, there was stress going on oh, in the mind. But everything, the last, the last minute, everything was just so beautiful. Your service, your presentations. Yeah, they were, they were some of the happiest times. Yeah. So we're 20 years older. What do you see if... Kids that were our age moving to the region now? Uh, they've got some challenges, I would say. But I, I see them... I don't know about... Because I don't know any young people at the moment trying to move or living in the town. I just... I don't. But I know quite a few who are, like, moving to Ballarat, Maryborough, Clunes. And I think that's where their opportunities are. Clunes is up-and-coming. Yeah, yeah, Ballarat too. So many young people and people who have moved from other countries have just gone, this is an opportunity for us. And it's changing the mood in these places too. I'm excited for them and, and those towns. 
all those little old shops, corner shops, you know, oh, residential yeah. areas, they're becoming different things. People are travelling to these to these shops and five years ago I would have been very worried for retail. But then Trentham have got some beautiful shops too and I love them. Yeah. And they're they're thriving and surviving. So I'm hoping that I mean I hope young people continue to move to Dalesford yeah. in light of accommodation issues. I really hope that sorts itself out. Maybe there are ways of imposing regulations on on uh, holiday yeah, rentals and things like yeah. that that might yeah. change that a bit. Well, actually, I should say there are community-minded people who are building low-income housing, luckily, mm. in that in, my, in our area. But I think uh, if if I was twenty, well, I could be twenty-eight again, and I wanted an opportunity, I would go further out. Whether more opportunities. Like, say, Bendigo or Ballarat. Yes. Small yeah, or a, or a small town yeah. somewhere. I would agree. Same but spirit, same energy, but take it somewhere else. We haven't talked much about politics behind being part of the Rainbow community. Mm. What do you think is different from where we came in to where the next gen are coming in? What do you think has changed for in just as simple well, as 20 years? Well, in one hand, there's more acceptance, especially in the education system and some of those systems mm-hmm. where people, young kids can hopefully feel like they can be whatever they want to be, whether it's gender fluidity or, or sexual orientation or that sort of thing. But I'm also experiencing some resistance even within from within the gay community about people having you know oh, this is going too far or you know why can't people just be people and, and uh, so I, I acknowledge that there is repressed fear and homophobia amongst gay people but I'm surprised that it plays in some crowd and I've deal with it I've, de- I've dealt with it recently with other people what happened well like, wow. well they might say to me you know they've become more conservative, and they might consider the idea that this is some sort of agenda, and I think that's a real struggle for me. That uh, an that agenda in in what breaking down family values. This is this is on a trans topic, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. It is, and it's just not in my nature to want to challenge people. I'm comfortable in what I think, and so I don't need to argue with them. Just hear them yeah. out and change the subject. But I'm surprised. I'm surprised. That yeah, where it's coming from, but there's always been. I've experienced, um, well, repressed homophobia in myself and self hatred and all that sort of thing, which is why I reckon I've acted out in the past. But now I don't have that, but I still see it in other people, even people I know well. So, but hopefully that's, that's just what we're moving through to get to a better place. And someone said to me recently, you know, so why is it so important for them, to, for people to be seen when hmm. they have, when they want to, want to be respected for who they are? And I, I think that it's important because we've grown up for so long, millennia, being put into this pigeonhole or that pigeonhole, and trying to live our lives for that. This is our opportunity to live our lives the way we want, and I don't think it's anyone else's issue. That's what I say to those, those people who can't wrap their heads around it. 
But I think it's their own. Yeah. That's their own stuff, and it comes mm. from their fear or the trauma or whatever they've been through. And it's, if we have, if we're angry, or we're if we're angry particularly, that's usually where it comes from. Some we've been wounded somehow. It's time to break cycles and look at ourselves and draw a line. Start and do fresh. better. Yeah, do better. Get yeah. better and do better. Yeah. Yeah. I still struggle with pronouns <clears throat> and oh, I get nervous, I get social anxiety and all that sort of thing about it. What, that you I will get try. it wrong? Yeah, or... I get it wrong or whatever and I, I don't mind being corrected or I, I don't know what I'm worried about. Yeah. I just want to be respectful and... Yeah. That's it. But things are so ingrained in me. I'm determined that that's not an excuse. No, but also if all you want is to be respectful, then I think that's exactly what comes across yeah. to someone that also doesn't want conflict. Your intention is going to be so much more the way that you are responded to when it comes to that kind of stuff. And we do get anxiety because we would hate to be in that situation and judged for being ourselves mm. because we're lucky enough to actually just be sitting here without any major mm. horrific stories. I, I once got a two days notice to take a class, a hospitality class on how to deal with the general public without using gender. How did you go? Well, I, I, it went fine, but I, I did half the class of, uh, of me instructing, you know, we're talking about front of house service and how to treat customers and all that sort of thing. And the rest of the class, I engaged with the class on what they thought treating customers yeah. would be like without using gender at all. And it was fun because we had to see how far we get before we was, oh, wait, we don't need to say he, she. No, we don't. It's all. funny, isn't it? You know? Hey, folks. Mm. Straight up. Yeah. It instantly mm. dissolves mm. the gender. Yeah. No. Yeah. Who were you teaching? Well, it was a, a hospitality class through Hepburn Health, um, I think two or three years ago. Yeah, I was taking them through a, how to serve customers in a, in a small cafe. In this case, we yeah. were using the dining room at Parson Club. The coordinator said to me, oh, well, we've been wondering how to introduce, you know, gender and in, in the use of gender in, in hospitality. And I was like, oh, we could do that with our front of house. And then I thought, gee, I better get, I better think about think this. About <laughs> but it was good. It was really good. And what ended up happening was a few people I worked with joined in and listened in as well. And we had a complaint from a customer. They were offended in the way that we addressed them. And then I suggested to the coordinator that we recognise this and we talk about it. Was this a transgender customer or was this a straight customer? I cannot remember what the issue was, but they'd sent an email that they were offended and everyone was well-meaning but shocked and, and didn't know how to respond and so we had a discussion about the whole thing and I felt like I'd learnt a lot from that discussion and then I was just the coordinator, oh, well, hey, this happened and you talked about this the other day, about doing this, so let's, let's do it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And there's progress right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it forced me to educate myself. Do you do much front of house? Uh, I do, yes, yep. from time to time. I just try not to think in terms of gender or just... Just people. Hello. No, it comes to me more easy. easy. When you get out of the habit of using it. Yeah. 
And so I have a show on Little West Side, hi guys, girls, you know, for, for gay guys, for group of yeah. gay guys came in, like, oh, you know. Hey, ladies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, They used you know, to love. Yeah, yeah. But, but we're part yeah. of the change too And I would now. probably, objectively, wouldn't, don't like that, if you mm-hmm. specifically ask me about that. But it's just something I was lazy about. So it's good. It's also, I mean, back to the nine, late 90s and early 2000s, mm. that's a way to connect. Mm. You know, it's a way for you to say... It's okay. It's yeah. okay. That's exactly right. Yeah, because we, we come from there. And that goes back to our safety in numbers uh, discussions that we've mm. had, which is, I guess, we talk about the Hospo family, but the Rainbow family. Yeah. We find each other and there's this... Not so much anymore. But that was us. We yeah, locked yeah. on years ago because we had each other. And, and we don't need to find security in that no. way anymore. That's the progress too. But maybe people with different challenges do. I'm sure they do. Would you say you've made a difference? I hope so. Yes. I would too. Absolutely. Feel free, Rosie. Yeah. Anything, anything. Well, I'm looking forward to, I'm really looking forward to show up. This is the first time in nine years I'm not working and I get to go to things and do things and stay up late and have fun. (laughs) That's right. We will (laughs) be looking forward to chill out. So that is for March 2023, just for... Yes, Labor Day weekend. Yep. Well, they'll probably get this by next year. Yep. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. 2024. Yeah, but <laughs> this is recorded about two weeks before 2023 till now. Yeah. About two weeks ago. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Christian, for coming. Thank you very much. To us. Nice right. to meet nice, you. Nice to meet you too. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'm so wrapped that you agreed to coming on board oh, and allowing great. us to hold your story as something that is is part of the Hepburn Shire. Yeah, Archive. I look forward to hearing all the stories. Yeah. Thank you okay. so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Hidden in Plain Sight is brought to you by us, Rosie Hill and Mel Thomas. It is produced in the Hepburn Shire, Jajawarong country, soon to be the land of the big rainbow. We thank you, our listeners, for listening. We would especially like to thank our guests who have agreed to be interviewed. It isn't something we take for granted and we deeply appreciate their trust in us and bringing their story to you. We hope our conversations have inspired you, but if it has also raised uncomfortable feelings or recalled difficult events in your own life, please reach out for support. Some ways available for help are Gay and Lesbian Switchboard, Rainbow Door, 1800 729 367. Also, SMS and email support are available. Lifeline, 131114 and Beyond Blue 1300 224 636